In this episode of Desert Island Torah, we have the Zechut of speaking to Rabbi Elliot Schreier. Rabbi Schreier is Rabbi of B'nai Yishurin in Teaneck and previously served as Rabbi of Albert Einstein Synagogue in the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and on the rabbinical staff of Congregation Beth Shalom in Lawrence, New York. He previously served as Chair of the Talmud Department and Rosh Bet Midrash at North Shore Hebrew Academy in Great Neck. Rabbi Schreier is a graduate of YU where he studied history and Judaic studies and received smicha from Reitz. Thank you so much, Rabbi Schreier, for joining us today. It's a real zechut to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. So it's Desert Island Torah, three pieces of Torah that you will take with you to a desert island. What do they mean to you? Why are they so important to you? We're looking forward to learning and finding out your three pieces and learning with you. So if we jump right in, should we go with your first piece? Uh, sounds good. Before we actually go to my first piece, let me just offer a brief uh, note of introduction. Of course, uh, when asked what three pieces of Torah one would take to a desert island, that's it's a nearly impossible question to ask. Um, of course, it's just an opportunity to highlight three works of Torah that, like you said, are really meaningful to me and have uh, impacted me personally, and that I think are extraordinarily breathtaking works and valuable works within uh, the corpus of, of Torah, of Torah literature. Um, and I guess my goal is just going to be to take one piece from each of, of these three works, each of these svarim, to kind of highlight what I think is really so majestic about them, and hopefully to point to a certain common denominator between the three as well. Uh, the three works that I chose are all works from the Rishonim. Um, it's the Rambam Sefer Hamada, Rabbeinu Yonah's commentary on Masechus Brachos, and the Ramban's Pirish Ala Torah. And they are all very different works in many ways, but like I said, I think they share certain common denominators that speak to the, the majesty of these svarim. So I guess let's start with the Rambam's Sefer Hamada. Rambam Sefer Hamada is of course part of a larger work. It's the first Sefer in the Rambam's Mishnah Torah, his, his magnum opus, in which there are 14 svarim, in which he really systematizes the entirety of Torah Shvalpeh, the entirety of Halacha. Sefer Hamada is a bit unique insofar as it's not as strictly quote-unquote halachic as some of the other svarim, which really focus on uh, areas of halacha more narrowly. Sefer Hamada is often perceived, and rightly perceived, as more of a philosophical work. There is much philosophical discussion within Sefer Hamada. Hilchus Yisoria Torah, at the very beginning of Sefer Hamada, has a discussion of physics and metaphysics and the like. Uh, there's uh, an extended discussion of the of free will in Hilchus Chuba. So there are definitely philosophical topics in the Rambam Sefer Hamada. It was a focal point of the Maimonidean controversy. Critics of the Rambam in the Middle Ages pointed Sefer Hamada and some of the Rambam's writings of Sefer Hamada as, uh, as what they deemed to be problematic. But to me, what's, what's perhaps most amazing about Sefer Hamada is not the philosophy or even the, the strict and narrow halacha, but there are many passages within the Sefer which speak to the broader spirit of Torah, the broader spirit of Jewish life, and the broader spirit of mitzvos that really bring out very fundamental themes in what it means to be a Jew and to live a Jewish life. You wouldn't label the Rambam Sefer Hamada as a Musr Sefer per se, but many passages in it do have Musr-like themes that to me at least are, resonate very deeply and are, are very inspiring. Let me take one passage in the Rambam Sefer Hamada just as a demonstrative example. And that is the Rambam in the third chapter of Elchus Deos, Deos Paragimel, Halacha Gimel. This was one of Ravaron Lechensin Zetzal's favorite passages in the Rambam. He would quote from it frequently. And the Rambam here discusses leading a life that in its entirety, in all of its facets and all of its components, is geared towards service of Hashem. 
that is, is honed towards a particular goal. He says that, the Rambam says that when you're conducting yourself, even when you, you approach matters pertaining to personal health, for example, he says you shouldn't just do so in order to be fit, in order to be healthy, but you should make sure that your entire life is calibrated towards a larger goal. And I'm taking select passages here, but he writes, Why should you aspire to be healthy? Why should you aspire to be fit? So that you will be ready to serve Hashem. He goes on to highlight that, of course, if you're afflicted with all sorts of personal maladies, it's going to be very difficult for you to focus on divine service. And therefore, your focus in all that you do should ultimately be calibrated towards the ultimate goal that we have in life. And then he, he writes, he, he says that one who follows this path is essentially perpetually engaged in divine service, no matter what they are doing. He gives examples. He says, even in, in instances of business, even in moments of marital intimacy, he says, as long as you have that broader intent, that broader life calibration towards the goal of divine service, then everything that you do is part of that divine service. He then goes a step further and says, even in moments when you're sleeping, you're not conscious, you're not consciously engaged in any activity. Even that subconscious act of, or, or that passive act of rest can be part of Avodah Hashem as well. He quotes, he then at the very end, he quotes a Ma'amar Chazal. Chazal instruct us, all of your activities should be geared towards the heavens and, and towards the service of divine service, the service of the above. He quotes Mishlai Parakimel Pasukbav as a proof text as well, which says that in all your ways know Hashem. In all your ways, know Hashem, the Rambam says, means that in all that you do, in all areas of your life, you should know Hashem. There are certainly alternate approaches to that Pasuk as well, but that is the Rambam's approach that he presents here. Now, what I find really powerful about this passage is, A, the content of the passage itself, the notion that in Jewish life, we don't lead these, these um, bifurcated lives or these compartmentalized lives, where the moments where we spend in the base Knesset or the base Amedrish and the shul and the study hall, those are moments of divine service and all else that we do is mundane and does not have any sanctity to it. Rambam is saying that when one contemplates one's broader life purpose, really all of your life is subsumed into your divine service. And what's also powerful to me about this passage, and, and this is true of many other passages in the Rambam Sefer Amado, is that it really transcends the traditional categories that we think of when we think of Torah literature. Is this passage a statement of halacha? Is it a statement of philosophy? Is it a statement of Musr? Is it a statement of, of Tanakh exegesis? He's quoting a Pasuk and Mishle and offering an approach to, to a Pasuk and Mishle. It, the, the truth is, it is all of the above. And the same can be said for many other celebrated passages in the Rambam Sefer Hamada. Take, for example, the Rambam in Shuvah Perak Yir Halacha Gimel, where the Rambam describes Ahabas Hashem. And he provides an analogy. He says the love that we should have for Hashem is really like the lovesickness that a young man and young woman feel towards each other during a courtship process, the young love of a chassan and kala, that is the analogy that the Rambam employs to describe our love of Hashem. He, he says it should be an Abba Gedola Yesera Aza Me'od, should be this deeply intense, fierce love. He says it should be something that consumes you always. 
as if you are lovesick. And once again, he quotes a pasuk in this case, Sefer Shir Hashirim, Perpez Ani, describing a lovesickness in the ultimate metaphor for our loving relationship with Hashem. In Yisodei Torah, Perak Beis Halacha Beis, the Rambam discusses a different facet of Avas Hashem and Yiras Hashem. How exactly do you acquire Avas Hashem? There, the Rambam says that it's contemplation of the world and the physical universe at large and their grandeur and their majesty that ultimately leads you to contemplate the Ribbono Shalom himself. And that leads to love of Hashem. And once again, the Rambam quotes a Pasuk, Tehillim Perak and Beis Pasuk Gimel, Tzama'an Nafshi Lelokim Lekel Chai, David HaMelech says, I, I thirst for knowledge of Hashem, for the living God. And that's how the Rambam interprets, um, or, or he proposes that the Pasuk refers to this approach to Avaz Hashem, Yiraz Hashem. Uh, per, perhaps the most famous, or certainly among the most famous statements of the Rambam in, in Sefer Amada is in Shuvah Parakimel Halacha where he says that the shofar that we hear on Rosh Hashanah is really a, a wake-up call. Even though he says that really it's, it's of course, Xeris Kasov. We do the mitzvah because it was simply commanded. And that's reason, that's sufficient reason in and of itself to perform the mitzvah. He says, Remez Yeshbo, there's a hint, or, or there's some subtle message that the mitzvah is supposed to achieve. It urges us to wake up from our slumber and focus on what's important. He quotes the Pasuk and Mishlai, Parakut Pasuk of but Tzadik Yisod Olan, that the Tzadik is the foundation of the earth when he describes the way in which we are judged on the Yom Noraim and how a single choice or decision that we make can really send us or the entire world, the Rambam says, in the one direction or another, in, in towards a positive or or a more harsh verdict. He, he quotes the Pasuk Tzadik Yisod Olam, that we are, that a Tzadik can be the foundation of the earth. And finally, just one other example, the Rambam in Talmud Torah, Parakim Halacha Aleph, uh, describes almost the democratic nature of Torah. He, he describes that anybody can really achieve the Keter Torah or can attain the Keter Torah, the crown of Torah, should they exert sufficient effort and, and commit themselves to it. Once again, he quotes Tukim, in this case, a famous Pasuk, and he, uh, again, in very inspiring terms, describes the way in which anybody can attain and acquire that crown, in all these instances, you have a work that quite clearly transcends genre. These are very inspiring passages. You can certainly, if you read them in a vacuum without knowing that they're from the Rambam, you might think that they're from some kind of contemporary work of, of Musr or Hashkafa. Like I said, the Sefer includes much Hashkafa and Mahashava, much Jewish philosophy and theology as well. And at its most basic level, it is a work of Halacha too. There are many Halachos Psukos. There are many Halachos that we follow from Sefer Amada. It is after all the introduction to the Rambam's Halachic work, Mishnah Torah. And you see in, in all of these passages, the ways in which a great work of Torah literature really just transcends any particular genre and incorporates elements of them all. So that would be my first choice, heading into the desert island, the Rambam Sefer Amada, as demonstrated by some of the halachos that we were talking about a moment ago. Amazing. Um, and yeah, but as you were talking and then you brought up Ehu, I like, I could hear that was gonna come. That's my favorite pasuk in all of Tanakh. Um, so I got very excited when I heard you say that. I didn't. I didn't know that before we recorded. So I'm glad. I, I'm glad I picked that passage. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, I could feel it coming uh, based on how you were describing. It means a lot to me. All of that kind of like notions about making Hashem part of everything we do, whether it's when we're in the supermarket, whether it's in the bet midrash, whether it's in any situation, and I think through everything you kind of explained, we can still do that also. Um, and it's really important to think about. Critical. 
So should we move into your second piece? Sounds good. The second piece is the commentary of Rabbeinu Yonah on Masechus Brachos. Now, this is a different kind of work in several ways. First, Rabbeinu Yonah was, of course, one of our, another one of our great Rishonim, another one of the greatest rabbinic leaders of the medieval period. Ironically, Rabbeinu Yonah was one of the fiercest critics of the writings of the Ramah um, in, the, in the 13th century. But many of Rabbeinu Yonah's works have also become just to total classics of, uh, of Torah literature. And one, again, just a demonstrative example, is his commentary on Masechus Brachos. Now, at face value, this is what you'd call more of a halachic or even Talmudic work, rather than the strict halacha of Mishnah Torah or, or even the, certainly the philosophy of Sefer Amada. It's a commentary that often accompanies, it's printed in, in any standard printing of the Gemara along the riff, uh, along the pages of the riff. Ordinarily speaking, in most Masechus, we have the comments of the Ran uh, attached to the commentary of the riff. Here in Masechus Brachos, we have commentary of Rabbeinu Yonah. It was edited by a student, so it's often called Talmide Rabbeinu Yonah. And here too, we have a work that I, I think in many ways brings out that theme that I was highlighting a moment ago of a work that transcends genre and really incorporates many. Uh, to use one demonstrative passage of, of this work, let's take a Gemara in Masechus Brachos on Daftalotam and Beis that discusses the principle of Semichos Ge'ula Litfila, a halachic principle that dictates that when you're davening shacharis, and as the Gemara highlights, also when you're davening ma'ariv, you should make sure that the bracha of ga'al Yisrael proceeds immediately into your shmona eswe. It's a halachic requirement. You shouldn't have anything, any formal break between the recitation of the bracha of Israel at the end of Kriyashma and the beginning of shmona eswe. And there are differences between how that expresses itself in shacharis and in ma'ariv, but without all the broader halachic analysis, the Gemara in brachos and davdalatam and beis says as follows. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan declares, Ezehu ben ha'olam haba, who is a ben olam haba, zehasomech ke'ula latfila shalarvis. One who makes sure that indeed that bracha of Ga'al Yisrael is close to the beginning of Shemona Esrei is, there's no break between them. In the Mariv prayers, or even in the Mariv prayers, they are a ben olam haba. So Rabbi Yonah, commenting on this line of the Gemara, begins by noting that the Gemara can't be taken purely at face value. It needs to be saying something greater or something more. He says that it can't be that just making sure that you recite Ga'al Yisrael before Shmona Esrei is sufficient to guarantee you your place in Olam Haba. That doesn't make sense. It needs to be mandating something more. And he argues that what the Gemara really means is you need to understand the reason why we have Semichas Ka'ula why the bracha of Ga'al Yisrael proceeds immediately into the Shemona Esrei. And if you're able to understand and internalize the broader messages that this halacha represents, then you are ben olam haba. Now, what are those broader messages that the halacha is intending to convey? He offers two approaches. The first, and in a certain sense, they're actually almost, I would argue, almost opposite approaches to, to prayer, to tefillah, and to this halacha in particular. First offer he answer he offers is that tefillah is a form of divine service. It's called avoda. Now we know that from several halachic sources, and he cites them: Gemara Babakama and Datsadi Beis, Gemara at the beginning of Masechus Tanis, that describe tefillah as avoda, as a form of divine service. So why do we start with Yitzias Mitzrayim? He says it is intended to remind us 
that even as we no longer serve other masters, we no longer serve Paro and Mitzrayim, we do still need to serve our true master with a capital M, the Ribbono Shololom. He quotes the Pasuk in Vayikra Parach Pasuk in Beis, Ki avodai heim asherotzesi osam me'eret v'tzrayim. Hashem says that the Bnei Yisrael are my slaves, my servants, because I have taken them out of Mitzrayim. And he says, before we begin our service of Hashem, our avodah, we remind ourselves why it is that we owe that avodah to Hashem. Why is it that we are required to serve him? What, what is it that we owe him, in essence, that we are beginning that form of divine service? So we begin with Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim to remind ourselves of our eternal debt to the Ribbono Shololom, and then we begin to engage in that service that is, is due to him, that is owed to him as Avodai, as, as his servants, as reflected in the Pasuk. That's the first approach that he offers. He then offers a second approach that says, perhaps it's intended to highlight a different theme of tefillah. He says that in order to pray, in order to really properly pray, if it's going to be more than just a rote recitation of the words, you need to, of course, have a measure of bitachon. You need to, of course, have a measure of faith and trust that God is powerful and capable of delivering the things that you are praying for. He says, when, when you are misparallel, once you are requesting things of Hashem, you are showing your trust in Him. If I don't trust that God is able to deliver, then I wouldn't ask from Him in the first place. So again, why Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? It says it is intended to remind us of Hashem's power, the fact that Hashem cares about us, the fact that Hashem is able to deliver us in moments of need. It's intended to highlight all of those broader themes, really underlie tefillah and are a critical part of tefillah in order to, to really make sure that we approach tefillah with the right mindset. He quotes the Pasuk that we're familiar with from, from Pesuket de Zimra, it's after they saw the Bnei Yisrael saw the miracle of Hashem that they had proper faith in Hashem, they had proper bitachon in Hashem. And we try to instill that within us as well. Now, again, I, I think there's, there's beauty in the piece itself. The fact that it highlights two almost conflicting themes of prayer, of tefillah, that are both simultaneously true. On the one hand, let me start with the second. We tend to think of tefillah as an opportunity for us to ask for things from Hashem. And that is certainly a central component of tefillah. That the section of the Shemona Esrei of Bakashos, the section where we ask for things, is certainly the largest, by far the largest, section of the Shemona Esrei. And it's a critical component of what tefillah is. But instead of just asking for things, Rebbeinu Yonah highlights that when we ask for things, we're actually initiating or engaging in a broader relationship with Hashem. We're expressing our trust in Him. We're expressing the fact that we are acknowledging His, his power, His sovereignty. We are also implicitly expressing the fact that, or, or stating our belief in the notion that He cares, that He's listening, that He has a relationship with us, that He's not aloof and distant and unconcerned with human affairs or the affairs of even individuals, of every individual person, every individual Jew. So you have that one theme expressed in tefillah in his second approach. In the first approach, on the flip side, you have an approach to tefillah that is not human-centric, but is, is centers around God himself. It's not just for us. It's also a form of service to the Ribbon Shalom. It is a form of avodah. In the absence of the temple service of avodah space amigdash, prayer has come to take its place. 
And when we stand before Hashem, we are engaging in his service. So Soloveitchik would say that, that tefillah is a kind of carbon and it's compared to temple service because you are in essence offering up the very essence of your soul when you, when you engage in prayer. So you have this tension between these two kinds of ideas, prayer as service and prayer as, as bakasha, as, as request. And bitachon and trust that the Ribbon of Shalom is looking after us, is listening to us and is capable of delivering the requests that we make of him that are highlighted within this same halacha and brought to the fore by Rabbeinu Yonah. And once again, as I said, with the Ramam Sefer Ramada, you also see the way in which this work transcends genre as well. It starts with an analysis of a halachic principle, smichlas ke'ula latvila, a principle that's, that's mentioned in the Gemara, but it quickly transcends that into an analysis that is, is a halachic analysis. It is explaining to you why this halacha is, is there, why it's in place, but engaging in much broader theological themes at, at the same time. It simultaneously brings out two important uh, themes of prayer that are perhaps in tension with each other, but also really adds significantly to the essence of the tefillah experience. He once again is basing his analysis on psukim, perhaps not as, as overtly as, as the Rambam. Here, the psukim are more used as proof texts, um, and he's not necessarily offering the same kind of novel interpretations that you find elsewhere, but it has that element as well. And you once again see the complexity of a work like Rabbi Yonah's commentary on Brachos and bringing together these disparate areas of Jewish learning into one single cohesive unit. So that is number two, Rabbi Yonah's commentary on Masechus Brachos. Absolutely, really, really powerful. And it made me think when you're speaking about like Mitzrayim and all of that, when it says Anochi Hashem it speaks about Mitzrayim. And I think Mepharshim, Ibn Ezra, and I think the Kuzari also asked, why does it say Mitzrayim and not the fact that Hashem is the creator? And it's the fact that Yitzhak Mitzrayim signifies more than Hashem's existence, but his providence, his connection and involvement with the people. Um, and that his people are connected to him. And it made me think of that like notion, um, which is really powerful. Yeah, I'll have you know that I, I couldn't agree more. And when I would often give uh, sheer on this topic of Smithless Ulul and the Rabbin Yonah's approach, I would often juxtapose it with those, those exact sources that you just mentioned. Anofi Hashem Alokecha Asher, instead of Asher Barasi Shemayim Ba'aretz, that our, the core of our belief is not just in a creator who created the universe, but who also took us out of Mitzrayim. And I think it, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it very much speaks to the themes that emerge from those comments of Rabbin Yonah. For sure. So should we go into your third? Yeah, I guess that's actually a perfect segue to number three, which is the Ramban al Torah. Indeed, the Ramban discusses that question on Anofiyah as well. Um, but the Ramban al Torah is also just a remarkably majestic work that too fits my general theme of just transcending all genres and really incorporating all into just a remarkable single work. In the spirit of Desert Island Torah, I think uh, Rav Aaron Luchensin, again, I, I learned in, in Haratzion, and Rav Luchensin was once asked uh, a similar question to the one that, that you posed to me and to all of your guests about what safer he would take with him to a desert island. So I think if you know Rav Luchensin, he, he qualified the question, and I don't know if he was willing to answer that question so directly, but he said, if you're talking about important works in, in Jewish literature, I think, I don't remember the, the exact quote, but it was something to the effect of the following. If Kla Yisrael would lose the Rambam's Moranavuchin tomorrow, it would be a great loss. 
But if we lost the Ramban's commentary on the Torah, it would be an absolute catastrophe. That was, it was something to, to that effect, highlighting how central he viewed the Ramban al Torah as, um, as a central work on, in many, as, I'm, as I said a moment ago, really in many areas. It's a central work of, of biblical exegesis, of Parshanut, possibly second to Rashi. It's, it's arguably the most important uh, commentary that we have on the Torah. It's a work of halacha in many instances as, as well. The Ramban was, of course, one of the greatest of Arishonim in terms of halakhic analysis too. And much of that comes through in his Pirish al Torah. And it's a very central work of Ashkafa. It's a central work of theology that really contains so many fundamental principles of, of who we are as Jews. So to highlight that, I'm going to choose a, a, a really classic passage. Again, a widely celebrated passage in the Ramban, which is his commentary on Vayikra Perach of Kimmel, the Parsha Samoadim, his, his commentary on the mitzvahs asay of Shabbos, the positive elements of Shabbos, as opposed to the mitzvahs losa asay, as opposed to the many prohibitions and restrictions that exist on Shabbos. He's commenting on a puzzle in Vayikra Perach of Kimmel, Pasuk of Dalit. It's actually a description of the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. But in the description of Rosh Hashanah, the Torah tells us that Be'er B'nai Yisrael more. Hashem instructs Moshe to speak to the B'nai Yisrael. On the first of the seventh month, which of course in Torah's count is the first of Tishrei. You shall have a day of rest. Those are the critical three words for us. And the Pasuk concludes, should be a day in which we commemorate the, uh, the Shofar um, or or. or there's, there's, uh, there's a reference to the blasts of the shofar at the end of the puzzle. Commenting on those words, the Ramban takes just these three words and constructs a majestic world of Shabbos for us, a majestic picture of Shabbos, and again, a world as to the halakhic and hashkafic experience of what Shabbos is supposed to be. He begins this critical passage with the words, that Shabbos should be a day to rest. Now, that sounds awfully intuitive. It doesn't sound like anything groundbreaking. The first thing we learn about Shabbos as young children is that it's a day of rest. But what the Ramban goes on to communicate is that, and he doesn't put it exactly in these words, I'll share with you some of the words that he uses in a moment, is that often we have this warped perception of Shabbos as a day of don'ts, in which we can't do 39 things. And of course, when each of those 39 categories is properly expanded, it's, it's way more than 39. We have all sorts of restrictions, all sorts of things that we can't do. It's a day of don't do this, don't do that. It's a day of prohibition. It's a day of restriction. And of course, on a narrow level, that's true. There are a lot of prohibitions on Shabbos. There are many things that are prohibited, that, that, that we can't do activities that we're restricted from. But the broader goal is to contribute to a certain character of, of a day that is that has a certain spiritual character, that has a certain kind of psychological, emotional character. It is supposed to be a day of rest. The Ramban quotes the Gemara on Shabbos and Dachav and Beis that says Shabbason Asehu, that it is a mitzvah Aseh. Forget about all the don'ts. Remember what all the don'ts are contributing towards. Remember what they are building towards. They're building towards an imperative to make sure that the day is a day of rest. And then he goes on to talk about it in rather poetic form and rather he, he paints a very, um, he paints a picture and it's a detailed picture of what Shabbos would look like without this mitzvah's essay. This is based on a medrash in the Mechilta that he quotes. We're not gonna get into all the details right now. 
But he says that what the Mechelta is driving at, he says, look, there are lots of things that are restricted on Shabbos. But there are lots of other things that aren't narrowly speaking restricted by the 39 malachos. All sorts of labor that we can engage in that, again, doesn't narrowly fit into one category or the other. If you look up your, your Helchel Shabbos Sefer, you won't find it categorized under any of those 39 malachos. And yet the Torah tells you that even in those areas where strictly speaking there is no prohibition, you must ensure that you have a day that is a day of rest. He says, if not, you'll be able to find all sorts of loopholes. And he describes, you'll find all sorts of excuses, all sorts of loopholes, all sorts of, you'll marshal all of your halakhic creativity. And what will ultimately happen, you'll have the marketplace fully active on the Shabbos day. Everything is going to look like an ordinary market day, an ordinary day of the week, simply because you've marshaled your halachic creativity to circumvent the narrow 39 malachos. And he says, a uh, moment later, Make sure that you keep your eyes on the prize. Make sure that you remember what Shabbos is actually about. Make sure that even if you find narrow ways to circumvent the malachos, if it's clearly outside of the spirit of Shabbos, if it's clearly going to defile the day, if it's going to compromise its character as a day of rest, make sure that you avoid those activities too, and that you're active in preserving that restful character to the day. Now, it's an extraordinary passage in so many different ways. Number one, it starts with Pirush al Torah. This is, after all, the Ramban's commentary on the Torah. It's Pirush al-Chamish. It starts with really just, again, three words. It starts with this imperative to have a day of rest or to make a day of rest. The Ramban, based on those three words, really draws out some underlying themes that are, that are hidden within the biblical text itself. It starts with the work of Prashanu. But it's so much more than that as well. It's also an important work of halacha. There are many halachas, many activities that are restricted on Shabbos based on this Ramban. To note one famous example is Juba Bachasam Sofer. It's in the Likutim Chelagav Semitzadi Zion, where he discusses the question of getting into a steam-powered car on Shabbos, what he calls a dump wagon, a dump wagon. I don't know exactly what that was, I confess to you, but it was some kind of steam-powered vehicle, the equivalent of sitting in the back of a car nowadays. Let's say you are sitting in the back of a car, you're not operating the vehicle, you don't even open it and close it, you have a non-Jew open and close it for you. Is it okay to, to ride in such a vehicle on Shabbos? And the Chassam Sofer goes through different issues that, that may come up, but he says, ultimately, the reason why he thinks it should be prohibited is because of this Ramban, because it's a defilement of the character of Shabbos. And as a result, it's a violation of the mitzvah's assay of Shabbos. Even if it doesn't fit into any narrow category of malacha, even if I can't identify a narrow prohibition, it's not within the broader spirit of the day, and therefore it should be prohibited. And of course, most importantly, it is... It is a work of hashkafa. It's a powerful statement about what Shabbos should be and how we should perceive Shabbos. Now, we often lose sight of that. I, I often share a story that there was one time when I was meeting with uh, a non-Jewish person. We had a meeting set up for Motsai Shabbos. Um, the whole meeting itself was, was an interesting story. But I was going to meet with them. And it was, again, set up for Motsai Shabbos. So the entire day, they had been apparently texting me details of where we should meet and what time. And of course, I wasn't seeing any of those text messages because my phone was, was off on Shabbos. 
So Motzei Shabbos came around. I turned on my phone. I had all sorts of messages from this person. And I apologized that I had missed them. And I, I met up with them at this, at this meeting place. And I said, I'm really sorry I didn't respond to your text. Please don't take it personally. But it was our Sabbath. It was, it was our Shabbos. And on Shabbos, we don't use any technology. So I, I really couldn't see my phone. I couldn't see the text messages. I couldn't respond. And the response I was expecting was, wow, that's really crazy. That must be really hard. How do you put down all of your technological devices? Or perhaps detailed questions about, about whether there were any exceptions. Can you turn on lights? Can you, uh, is there anything that you can do? But after I said this, the person stopped for a moment, they thought, and they turned back to me and said, wow, that sounds so peaceful. That sounds so peaceful. And how many of us Jews understand that? So often, I think certainly when we're dealing with adolescents, and I think very often adults as well, we tend to view Shabbos as a list of don'ts. We view it as a list of impediments, and we view it as a difficult day in many instances because of all the challenges that come along with the Isurim of Shabbos. But when we properly appreciate what Shabbos provides in a broader context, we appreciate that it is indeed a Yom Shabbosom. It is that day of rest. It's that day of spiritual rejuvenation. It's that broader goal that all those prohibitions are ultimately geared towards that the Ramban so beautifully captures in his Pirush Torah. So once again, I think you have, in all three instances, you have works that really transcend genre. You started with, with the Rambam Sefer Amada, which is a philosophical work, which has elements of halakha, has elements of, of philosophy, has elements of, of Parshanut as well. I think that's true for the Rabbeinu Yonah's commentary on Masechus Brachos, which starts as a Talmudic work, but has elements of all of them. And it's certainly true for the Ramban's commentary on the Torah as well. That's why to me, they're, they're deeply expressive of the power of, of classics of, of Torah, classic works of Torah, that they really have the ability to incorporate so many different worlds together coherently and cohesively into, uh, into just one remarkable uh, sum total. Absolutely, really, really important ideas um, and really meaningful, inspiring Torah. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.